Today's message is entitled, The Benefits of Really Knowing God. The Benefits of Really Knowing God. It looks one way on top, but another way below. It looks one way on top, but another way below. If you look at the that ice glacier, you can see it looks very small on the top. But there's so much more underneath. And that's what the real benefits, that's where the real benefit is of knowing God. So today... I want to talk about this benefit of being a Christian. And this benefit is that we actually get to know God. Can you imagine that? That us nobodies, us mere humans, mortals, with finite lives have the opportunity and the privilege of knowing God and actually acting on his behalf and even being able to be like him. Knowing God makes a difference in your life. Listen to what I'm saying. You can go from ordinary, you can go from a nobody to someone of significance, someone of impact, a person of change, simply by knowing God. That the more you know of God, the more of a person of significance you become. Do you have any idea how advantageous that makes you to the rest of the world? That you, you little boy, born in Compton, born in Arkansas, born wherever you were, some little girl somewhere in a classroom, you can make a difference by the knowledge you possess of God. And once you choose Christ, you become different and you have the potential of making a difference. God exists for us because we need him, right? We know God exists because we need him. We cannot live here without God. With all this stuff that's going on in our world, without God this would be a mess. But at the same token, we exist for the world because the world needs us. God exists because we need God. But the world needs us. We exist because the world needs us. So see yourself, watch this, see yourself mattering to the world just like God matters to you. Woo! When you see how much God matters to you, then you will see how much you matter to the world. And the difference you make in the world is directly related to the knowledge you have of God. So people often say that Christianity is the poor man's controlling ideology. That the Bible was written by the white man to enslave African Americans and that religion is the poor man's opioid meaning it creates dependence upon a tradition that immobilizes us and keeps us enslaved. But such thinking about real Christianity couldn't be further from the truth. 
to those of us believers who understand the tremendous benefits of being a Christian, we know that being saved is way more than being a part of a church or a religion that enslaves us in a sense of dependence. We know that being saved is huge. It is a game changer. It is a game changer for us and it is a game changer for the world. This is not a choir singing band of ragtag people in poverty who have nothing else to do but to hope that things will change. Our benefit of being Christians possesses the knowledge of God, the experience of God Almighty. And that we are not just Christians by nomenclature on a list, a roster, a name of showing up to church, being in a body of people who practice certain traditional religious uh, uh, practices. But knowing God changes us. And when we change, we can change the world. So what makes this so incredulous is that many Christians don't understand their benefit. Nor are they willing to tap into the benefit to prove this myth wrong. There are too many of us who are satisfied with walking around talking about, well, you know, I'm just trusting the Lord. I'm just climbing up the rough side of the mountain. How long are you going to be climbing up the rough side? When do you get to the top? When do you see his power? Well, sometimes I don't even know why you climbing because the Bible says if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can say to the mountain, be thou removed, go get cast in a sea and the mountain will uproot and go move. We don't have the faith to understand the benefits of knowing God in the capacity that he has allowed us to know him in. We settle for a sermon at church. We settle for a choir song. We settle for the church fashion show, vacation Bible school, when there is way more to God. Church on Sunday, Bible study on Wednesday. So what I'm suggesting to you today is that you can actually be like God. You can know him well enough to be like him. And you can be like him if you study him, if you watch him, if you mimic him, if you become mesmerized by him, if you become enthralled by him, if you fall in love with him, if you follow him. Ah, God, I feel him. Ah, God, don't, oh God, hallelujah. If you relate to him regularly, I feel him because I know what it's like to pant after him as the deer panteth for the water brook. So my soul longeth after him. I know what it's like to be out all day and in and feel like I miss God and I need to be close to him. Uh, a commitment to this kind of patterning your life after him. A commitment to this can change your life. And the world's. But because this takes time, many people choose to focus on themselves because it's easier to be with yourself than it is to be with God. So you rather complain about you, you rather talk about you, you rather pray about you. I'm not asking you to pray about you, I'm just asking you to get intimate with God, to know God better. Because if you learned, if you really learned and knew God, you would learn the art of being with God is being with yourself. Too many of us have this bifurcated. We have God here and us here. When we have been brought together, God is in us and we are in Christ. And when I'm with myself, I am with God. And when I am with God, I am with myself. When I'm playing basketball, God is there. When I'm at the movies, God is there. 
Wherever I am, God is. For his name is Emmanuel. God is with us. And yet we shake our lives like we're particles of salt coming through holes of separation. Where God is a part of a single flow. That we are in him and he is in us. And we must appreciate the powerful relationship and the opportunity that affords us to always be with God. Which means we are always learning him and he is always learning us. In the sense of his angels learning us. His angels don't know us. They must learn our patterns and ways. In this way they preach. And they, or they, they follow us. And they learn us to protect us. God has given us everything. Everything we need to be power on earth. And this holy week is the beginning. It is the most powerful week of the year. Not your birthday, sorry. This holy week is the most powerful week that exists. Where God dies and he rises again. And the Bible says he rises with all power. Exousia in the Greek, which means he has all rights, all authority. He has complete sovereignty over everything. And he says, I'm willing to give that power to you. Ah, God, help me here. Anything of great value takes time to achieve. And you won't get to know God in a week. You don't get saved and get power overnight. It takes time to know him. God, I feel him. I don't know what's happening in this service. It takes time to know God. A degree takes four years. It brings you more money. You can make more money when you have a degree. And the higher you go up, the more is afforded to you. Guess what? The more you know God, the more you gain. But it takes time. Four years of a degree, then a master takes two or three more. And then a PhD takes two or three more. Because the further you go, the more time it takes. A strong business takes time. If you want a strong business, it takes time. If you want a healthy marriage, it takes time. You can't say, I'm going to lose weight, go out and run three miles and expect to drop five pounds. It takes time. I'm saying being a powerful man or a woman of God takes time but it is achievable and I want to remind you that being strong men and women of God on earth is possible and just because it's taking time doesn't mean you give up look at how long it took us to appoint a black woman to the highest court in the land to be able to appoint uh, uh, this, this woman to the Supreme Court. But it was achievable. It is now possible. It is now another position that African American girls or women all over the world can aspire toward and say, I can do that. And I came to tell you, there is stuff in the Bible that God says you can do. It is achievable. And just because the church for years has been practicing one thing or because the church goes off on a slant on prosperity or because the church or religion, how you have practiced it, doesn't fulfill the real crux of what the Bible in the essence is, doesn't mean we can't get back on course. It doesn't mean that we can't be a church of power. And I want you to look at your journey with hope, not with remorse. I want you to decide today that, yeah, I got a, I'm in a bad position. I'm in a bad relationship. I got a bad job. But I want you to take your power through this knowledge of God. And I want you to experience him in a different way. So I want to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And I want to show you the premise and the base to establish the context of knowledge, of the knowledge of God and what it will do for you. But I want to focus only on verses 3 and 4. 
But I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 first so you can get the context of it. Let's read together. The Bible says in verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, talking to believers, as to those of us who believe, precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace is locked up in knowledge. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the what? Knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason giving all diligence add to your faith virtue and to virtue what? Say it with me. Knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm dropping knowledge today. We're dropping knowledge. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance, an entrance, look at that. So an entrance will be supplied to you. An entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You got access. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Peter was saying, I'm going to remind you of the power you actually possess. So let me give you point number one. Write this down. We have things others don't have. We have things that others don't have. So when you look at that glacier, you see beneath, beneath that little surface, beneath this fleshly veneer, beneath this uh, 100 40 pound man, <laughs> have mercy, forgive me, Lord. <laughs> Behind this small, petite woman is a powerful resource of strength. We have things, ah, God, that other people don't have. And we ought to act like we have more than what we have. Ah, oh, God, you don't understand. All things, the Bible is going to tell us in a moment, all things, we have all things to live godly. It is at our disposal, every last thing. Ephesians 1 and 3 says that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavens. We have already been given them. We have more than what we think we have. And we have stuff that others don't have. Let's read the passage. The passage says, verse number three, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So look at those highlighted words. His divine power, power given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His power has given us all things that pertain to us living life 
and being godly. That all things to live godly is at your disposal. Every last thing that you need to be who God has called you to be. I just showed you his divine power has already given it to you. The problem is you don't know you have it. Well, I'm going to show you today. I like the Greek construction of this sentence. And the Greek construction says it starts off with as all things to us. In other words, the emphasis is on all. That Peter was writing, God wanted to know, wanted you to know, you got it all. You got it all, baby. You got, you got it all. God didn't say you got 10%, you got 20. God said, I'm giving you all of it. I'm giving you everything you need. The Greek construction says, as all things to us, his godly power that relates to life and godliness has gifted. So in other words, the premise, the, the primary focus is on all things. The second focus is on his power. The third thing is that he gave it to us. The thing that matters the least is that he gave it to us. The point he wants to make that everything he has at his disposal as your source, his power gave it to you. Woo! So the text is saying all things, all the promises of God by his divine power has been given to us that pertains to life and godliness. So let's look at these two words. Let's look at life and let's look at godliness. The term for Greek, the term in the Greek for life is Zoe, which means not just being alive. He says, I'm giving you everything you need. Not to, listen, it's, listen, we can be born from a mother and be alive. God is saying, I've given you, I'm giving you the promise to be alive above being alive. He said, I came that you might have life more abundantly. Watch this. He says, it's not just being alive, but it's having the fullness of life. And, and too many of us as Christians are living beneath our life zone. We, we are living life, but we're not living the life God has given us. Why? Because God is life. There is no life apart from God. The Bible says in Genesis that when he created Adam, he, he breathed in him and man became a living nephesh, a living soul. In other words, nothing breathes without God. Uh, and so he gives us this life, God says. You've got the promises to be your full life. Uh, uh, yesterday, I, I, filled, I went to get gas and it was too high. I couldn't, I couldn't put a whole tank in it. Uh, God, God says, uh, watch, and on a half a tank, I can't go as far as I could on a full tank. Mm. God says, the reason you aren't uh, excelling or going further in your life is because you, you don't have the fullness of life. You, you don't, you don't, you don't have, you don't know what you have. You have more than Others have, and you keep being envious and jealous. Well, they keep they well, they got this and they got you. Do you not know who you are? The human existence of life, as in the form of the living word of Christ, it is the idea. Remember, I told you to know him is to be like him. The idea is that remember when Jesus Christ was on earth, the living word was on earth, life was on earth. Well, how did Jesus walk the earth? He walked the earth with power. He walked the earth with influence. He walked the earth with, with the ability to have impact, to do things, to love people. I'm telling you, you are on earth with a body, with a structure, with a likeliness, with the spirit of God in you. So why would you say you can't? Why would you say it's not possible? Why would you be afraid 
of your troubles, your debt, your problems, the enemy. Why? Jesus never backed down from the devil. Never. And I'm telling you, we, as a benefit of being a Christian, is to be like him. And it is to know him. Let me tell you about godliness. Godliness then is reverence. Is to have reverence for God. So God wants you to say you have everything you need to live life to the fullest and have respect for God. Godliness is to have reverence or respect or piety towards God. This is known as godliness. In other words, I'm godly when I reverence God. I'm I'm godly when I walk around with my head up to God, giving him respect and homage and, and honor. Godliness is having reverence for God. It is a respect level that is noticeably different. You know now today they don't have much respect for the clergy. There's no respect for the church. We've lost that sense of godness. And so, in summary, all I'm trying to say is that anything, any promises related, anything, anything in heaven that relates to you having full life and respect and reverence for God at the fullest has been gifted to you by the power of God. Now, you take that home. You chew on that, baby. That's a big piece of meat. And that's whole, that'll hold you for the week, baby. You get on that. You, you chew on that for a minute. That everything I need to be who I am through the power of God, I can live life and be godly. Well, now, here's what I want you to know. You don't pursue life and godliness. That's not the goal. And many of us are taught in church, pursue life. Pursue godliness, try to live safe, try to live holy, try to do this, try to act right. No, you pursue the one who gives those things to you. Get the knowledge of him and then the life and the godliness comes to you, which brings us to our second point. Let me show you this. The first one was we have things that others don't have. Number two is we know things that others don't know. Come on, PC. Help me, Holy Ghost. We know things that others don't know. A person who will drive a car at 35 miles per hour, if they don't know it can go 100, you know, they all they're going to do is 35. Ah, well, you're sitting there believing that it can only go 35. But what you know, what you know opens a whole other world for you. When you learn more, when I studied when I dug deeper in the lessons I was learning in school, guess what? I got better grades. In other words, your life turns toward you. Oh my God, come on. Instead of you tracing life, life will turn to you and ask you what you need. Because when you pursue the knowledge, ah, the things attract, you attract the things that you need. Instead of frivolously pursuing and panting after the things like you're chasing the ghost. God says, chase me, choose me, know me, and I will turn the cars around. I will turn the jobs around. I will turn the businesses around to you because you have the knowledge to effect change through those entities. So my point is, you get these promises or these things by the knowledge of him. You get these promises or these things through the knowledge of him. Let me show you the text. The text says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We just went through that. How? Through what? Through the not. How do we get it? Through the knowledge of him. We get it through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So you get these promises. You get these things. How? Through the knowledge of whom? Him who called us. You don't get life by going to life. You don't get life by going to godliness. You get life by going to God. You get the promises by going to God and knowing him. So this knowledge 
When it says to have the knowledge of him, it means to become thoroughly acquainted with. Uh, to know precisely and accurately. Are you thoroughly acquainted with God? Uh, come on. Uh, uh, do you know him precisely and accurately? When I handle holy things, when I, when I go out to do God's will, I have to know him. I have to be acquainted with him. Uh, God, I, I, I have to have studied him. There's no such thing as me getting up cold turkey and, and preaching a word. And I have not, I have not spent time with God. There is no, there is no power in that. You must know him ethically. Divinely, it is to know well enough to perceive the intended truth. In other words, it is to know God well enough that you perceive the truth before he even tells it to you. In other words, you know that's wrong. You don't need to read a scripture for it. You can sense in your spirit you're off base. It is to understand him well enough to know him. It is to know God well enough to have an understanding of the situation you're in where you don't have to call the pastor. You don't have to search a scripture. You know him well enough. You know he, God ain't going to prove of that. Well, it don't say wear red shoes in this place. No, you know in your spirit God doesn't want you in red shoes in that place. I'm being, you know, I'm making up something. This, my beloved, is the premise of our power to change us and the world. Our ability to know him. That God gives us the ability, the greatest benefit of ever is to know God. God gives you the access and the opportunity to know him like no one else knows him. The Bible even said, the Holy Spirit has come to the world, but the world knows him not, but only you. The world doesn't know the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a truth and a secret we have. Our lives, unfortunately, are limp and lifeless because we don't know him. Our godliness is mistaken for carnality because people can see no difference in us. In other words, they see our upper part of the glacier, but no one has any idea that beneath us we have this huge piece of ice. The reason church is important and Bible study is so important because it is a way to get to know God more. The reason I ask you to be online at least for 52 weeks out of the year is that for 52 weeks you get an opportunity to know God. And that's why if any church is preaching 52 weeks out of the year, they ought to be preaching from a scripture that talks about God that helps you know God in some way because the knowledge of God brings the power you need for life and godliness. So you ought to thank God for the ministry that teaches you about God. And I've been in ministry for over 30 years. But I've been studying him for over 40. I started studying in my teens. And I'm telling you I have amassed 40 years of data. Of information about God. Four decades at least. Of me trying to understand God. Of me parsing his structure. Of me going through scripture. Trying to understand what it means. Of me going to Bible study. Studying the book of Revelation. In seminary. I went through every book of the Bible. Word for word. Line by line. 66 books. It was my job. To become a pastor, I had to be able to read and know every part of the Bible. Just like a surgeon goes to school and takes years. What are they doing? They are amassing knowledge. Because you can't do a surgery if you don't know what you're doing. You can't be a Christian Christ-like if you don't know the Christ you say you're being like. You ask yourself, and don't raise your hand, and don't comment. But you ask yourself, how much time do you put in getting to know God? How much of your life involves your own personal Bible study? How much do you commit to getting to know God in an intimate and personal way?
So the text says, the text on the screen for me again, it says, we get this through the knowledge of him who called us, how? By glory and virtue. He called us. We get it through the knowledge of him, the one who called us by glory and virtue. So knowing him gets you the promises. That's from our perspective. We get the glory. We get the promises from knowing him. But the text says we can get it from knowing him. We get it because he's a God of glory and he's a God of virtue. So we get it because of our knowledge of him. But above, on another level, we get it because he's a God of glory and he's a God of virtue. So the text says he called us through glory and virtue. So we get the promises through our knowledge of him and he gives it to us through his glory and virtue. So we get it through knowledge and we get it through his glory and through his virtue. So it is of his glory, it is of his virtue that we get it. So glory means it is the thing that makes him outstanding to us and others. We get this promises because he's just outstanding and he's worthy of praise for doing so. So God gives us these promises because he's worthy of the glory for doing it. Do you hear what I'm saying? God's angle, God's perspective, look, we're happy to get the knowledge. We're happy to get the, the promises. But God's perspective is I'm giving it because I'm worth, I'm worth the praise for giving it. I'm worth the glory. I'm worth somebody opening a church every week for somebody to sing a song to praise me for what I've done for you. My glory makes that possible. In other words, somebody's got to be praising me. In other words, God is doing stuff because his character demands a level of glory. So we get these promises because he's worthy of praise. He is of, in other words, he is of good opinion enough to be praised and elevated. He is majestic. He is lofty. In other words, he is God. And he says he is allowed. He is allowed to get the glory for blessing you. And he says, because I'm a glorified God, you get it because I get glory from it. So it's a benefit to us, but it's a benefit to him that he gets the glory from it. And then so the virtue part of it is his moral excellence. So we get it. Watch this now. Watch this, Shauna. Oh, this is going oh, to smack you. This is going to smack you, Ben. We get it simply because he's good. His virtue, his moral excellence says, I cannot create a people who have been exposed to sin and not come up with a remedy to make them better, to give them a chance to get out of that debauched situation. God says my moral capacity won't allow you to fail. You get these blessings because I can't have a people living and existing without a chance to change. Who glory to God. He says my moral excellence, my purity will not let you not have a chance. And so to every one of you online this morning, Terry, every one of you, I'm preaching to you saying, you have, remember first three, all things have been given to you to be able to be everything God is cat-dogging. Woo! Has been given to you everything that God wants you to be. You have the tools to do it. So search your gifts, beloved. What are you good at? What do you love to do? What is your passion in? Then do it. Find the door. Knock on it. And see if he won't open it. And expose you to the realm of full life. I want to be on full. I want my gas tank to be on full. Amen? Amen. So let me move to my final point And wrap this up. We have things other don't have. We know things other don't know, but we share things others don't share. If you don't like to share, point three ain't going to go well on you. I like the little commercial of the two little girls sitting there and they talk about, they talk about, well, pick up this one if you do this. Pick up this one if you do this. And they say, pick up this one if you like to share. And there was hesitation. Uh, and uh, then finally one shared it. You have to be a person who is willing to understand the concept of sharing. 
that Christianity is not a solo ride. It is not an act of independence and all of you overzealous, righteous, holy folk who don't need nobody but God. God has designed us to be in a sharing capacity with him and with others. So what people see is not disconnected from a larger source. When people look at you, they must understand you're connected to something greater than yourself. You're sharing uh, something. Uh, God, uh, uh, the act of sharing means that you can use uh, what you don't have. <laughs> I don't have it, but someone is sharing with me. In other words, someone else has what, what I need. You don't have it, but you can get it. In other words, what you see on top is not all there is. If I reach down below, I can get it. And, 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 and there's a passage um, where it talks about how when the apostle uh, raised the, the, the lame man, he said, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have in the name of Jesus, take up your bed and walk. And the Greek means that what he did was he reached into the name of Jesus and pulled out healing and was able to heal the lame man. I don't got money, but I'm sharing in the power uh, that God has given me as an apostle who walks on the earth. He's in heaven. He can't walk down here no more. He put me here to do the job. And I'm telling you, it's too many of us walking around doing nothing. You ain't doing nothing. And God has said he's given you the power to be oh God, somebody who can make a difference in your community. Well, you ain't got to go to Washington. You ain't got to go to Carolina. Just go to your street. Walk outside your door and make a difference on your block. Make a difference in your family. Make a difference in your children. I can't brag about church, being a pastor at church, if I don't know nothing about. Listen, I can't come to church and lay hands on you if I'm scared to lay hands on my own children. Everything you see in church, I've already practiced at home. I practice preaching on my children. I practice preaching. I practice anointing at home. I practice praying at home. I practice singing at home. I practice worship at home and devotion. I, everything you see in church has already happened at home. Because I understand that the power doesn't fall on me just because I'm in an ecclesiastical setting. The power falls on me in Ralph's. The power falls on me at the gym. 24-hour fitness. The power falls on me riding my bicycle. Active sharing means you can get what you don't have. I have a key right now. I have a key to the house of my best friend. And I know that if anything I needed out of that house, I can access his house. And we have this saying. We say, Melo, W-M-I-Y. That means what's mine is yours. And he knows if I say WMIY, that already means, it already means what's mine is yours. And God says, WMIY, what's mine is yours. If you know what I got, you can have what I've given you. Woo! If you know what I've got, you can have what I've given you. That's what God says to us. We share. Having those promises can make you a partner in the lifestyle of him. You become more like him. As I learn the promises, the promises act on me. Let's talk about what is shared as I wrap this up. The verse says in verse four, by which have, by which have been given to us exceedingly in other words, by his glory and by his virtue, which we just read, has been given to us. These promises have been given to us through our knowledge of him and by his glory and by his virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly. Look at this. Great and precious promises. Look at the terms. Look at the adjectives. Exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might be what partakers there it is sharers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust so having those promises can make you a 
partner in the lifestyle of him. And as I learn these promises, these promises start working on making me better by his glory and virtue and our knowledge of him, what do we get? We get what the text says. We get the most precious, the most incredible, the most desired, the exceedingly great, the highest of value of promises that God told us he gifted us in verse number three. These promises Terry, they are not ordinary. I picked your name because it rhymed with ordinary. Terry, ordinary. These promises are not ordinary. The promises God gave you, little Ben, they are exceeding. What I got, what I share is abundant. What I share with God is extraordinary. It's precious. It is valuable. Look at what I'm talking Oh, it's premium. You know how you got to pay an extra cost for premium on Spotify? You got to pay a premium for YouTube, a premium for all these extra, you get extra things. I got the premium for free. <laughs> God gave me the premium for free. And what I'm trying to tell you is these blessings are not struggling Christianish. In other words, these blessings aren't for Christians who walk around defeated, bloated, maxed out, burnt out, tried out, flaked out, sorry, apologetic, pitiful, and shameful. Oh, God, as this blessings are powerful and they are unique. If we don't stand out, it's because you don't know him. The knowledge of him makes me on another level. The Bible says that through these promises, we get from knowing him, we become, watch this, partakers. I'm a sharer. Do you know how you own stock and investment? Elon Musk just bought 9%, 10% of Twitter. And now he owns the largest percentage of the what? Shares. They're called shares because everybody participates in the benefits from you. We ought to be investors who know the shares that we have invested in the kingdom of God. When I get a statement about my shares from my investments every month, they tell me, your stock went up or your stock went down. I came to tell you that the stock of God is always going up. Why? Because it's exceeding. It's precious. It's valuable. When you look at the devil, you say, hold on. I ain't broke. I'm a stockholder. I have shares in the Jesus. Jesus. I'm an associate. I'm a business comrade. I'm in business with God. Hey, I'm in stock with God. I'm a share. In other words, anything that relates to my life, anything that relates to me being godly, I got a share in it. Somebody say, I got a share in it. I got shares in what, y'all? The divine nature of God. The text says we're partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. One commentator said this nature of God is the divine nature. It is the sum of innate properties and powers by which one person differs from others. It is the distinctive native particularities, the natural characteristics, the natural strength and ferocity and intractability of beasts. In other words, oh, I love this. We become a part of his DNA. In other words, the Smith family has a particular DNA that if you take my blood, if you swap me, you can see who I'm related to. God says you're a sharer in my DNA. If somebody 
somebody swabbed you, they would be able to see that you're a shareholder in the kingdom of God. So we are his offspring. When we get saved and when we know who we are, we become like him. We, oh, even John said, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we will be like him. I am every day changing into who God is. I'm learning him every day. I'm not perfect. And Christianity is not about being perfect. It's about knowing him more and more each day. We come from him. Somebody say, I come from him. So it is that natural part, that natural point of view, that we are after him from the human nature perspective. I follow him. We are patterned like Christ. We are patterned like Christ in his earthly body. Just as you saw Christ on earth, I reflect that. That Jesus in his humanness was able to cut himself. He could hurt himself. But he was still God. And I'm trying to tell you that even though you live life and you go through life and stuff happens, the devil tried to kill Jesus. People tried to throw him down. They tried to trick him. They tried all kinds of things. But he navigated through it because his purpose said, keep on going, Jesus. And I'm telling you, stuff will happen in your life. But when you see yourself as a sharer in the nature of God, you can say to the devil, look here, that ain't going to work. No weapon formed against me going to prosper, boo. You can try it. You can form it. In other words, you can form it, but it ain't going to work. You can hit me, but I'm going to get up. You can knock me down, but I'm not going to be knocked out. You've got to navigate through life knowing that you've got the power like Jesus had. Is anybody understanding what I'm saying? So we know that Jesus in his earthly body had power. And there are examples of his followers performing the same miracles as well. And listen, do you guess where the stories of those apostles who did those miracles, do you know where they show up? In the book of Acts. (laughs) Jesus walked on earth and he showed his power miracles. Those are in the gospels. But the apostles, the disciples who were here after him, who did acts of miracles and power, guess where they are? They're in the book of Acts. And that's why I got you reading the book of Acts. Because I want you to see that you can do the power too. That you can do the same thing. That you have the power. You have the power to people, to pray for people, to heal people. You have the power to overcome. You have the power to cast out demons. You have to look at something. You don't even believe it. You don't even believe it. I said it. You have the power to cast out demons. Yes, you do. You can walk through your own house. You can go up to your teenager, lay hands on them and demand them in the spirit that whatever is influencing or attacking them, you can rebuke them in the name of Jesus. We don't know that. And I wish more of our churches would do that. So Acts talks about Peter and John raising the lame man. That's an Acts. They did it. Can you do it? Yeah, you can Paul, Peter walked on the water. Could you walk on water if the circumstance called for it? Absolutely. Paul got bit by a snake. Who got off the boat, bit by a snake, shook the snake off and said, get on off me. I got work to do. In other words, that sickness won't be unto death. If God has a reason for you to stay alive, I don't care what cancer says. We have the power to do miracles as well. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. The sad truth is that many of us don't know him well enough to be able to use that power. The promises says we escape the corruption through the knowledge of him. By being a part of his nature, we escape the corruption. The promise is to escape the corruption of the fallen nature. In other words, you escape the corruption that comes to a person who's unsaved. God makes us a distinction. He makes a distinction between the divine nature and the regular human nature. And he says human nature got messed up when Adam and Eve and Genesis took the fruit. And this God says you can escape it by knowing me. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, old things have passed away. You are a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. You get a new nature. And that through these promises, we may be partakers of this new nature. We escape the corruption of our fleshly desires. We escape the controlling power of the flesh by discovering this new and revelatory nature of God. You've got to find those promises and get the nature and escape the corruption of your current life. Here's my conclusion. I'm trying to do more to just focus on God. I'm trying to do more to get to know him better. And it's given me more confidence. It's given me less anxiety. It's given me more boldness to step out on faith. If I could have more of three things from God, there would be three things I would apply for. Number one, I would apply for more love. And if I could know how he does this love thing the way he does it, I'm working on it. I love a lot better now. But if I could master loving others, loving God and loving myself, that's what I would work on. And so I know that in those promises of life and godliness, love is in that. I would practice love. The second thing I would practice would be power. I would say, God, give me power. Help me to understand how to function with power. When I go in the world, I want power, power from the heavens on high. And I want to be weak. I don't want to be just a person that the enemy pounces on. That comes from knowing God. When the disciples came to Jesus crying, talking about, Jesus, we tried to cast out the demon of the boy, but it didn't come out. He said, why? Jesus said, some things don't happen through, but through much fasting and prayer. In other words, you haven't put the time in. There's some stuff you can't do because you haven't elevated your knowledge game. I want more power. So if I want more power, I'm going to get to know God more. The last thing I want is impact. Jesus had a way of impact in the world. I mean, Jesus would speak and folk just fall out. Jesus would speak and folk be, be getting saved by the thousands. You hear me? Jesus, Peter preached on Pentecost and 3,000 souls got saved that day. 3,000 came to Jesus. When I asked for somebody to get saved later, it'd probably be one, maybe zero. But it's only 20 of us online and most of us are saved. But my point is, Jesus in the world, when he, whenever he preached, he had impact. I don't want to live without impact. Do you? God make us people of impact. So, in conclusion, Sharon, most of us are older now. And we aren't kids anymore. We can't study all day. We used to come home, study all day, do our homework. But most of us had to work. Come on, PC. I got to work. I got to raise kids. I got to cook the dinner. I got to go to the gym. I got to lose weight. Well, I'm going to find time. To, to know him. Where am I going to find time? Yeah, that's right. You got to do all that. You got to get to know God while you do all these other things too. And it makes it hard. But I'm telling you, there's a benefit to really knowing God. Title of the sermon. It's worth it. It's worth the angst. It's worth you stealing five minutes, 15 minutes here before you go to bed. Study one passage. Take one, pick any passage in the Bible and study it, not read it, study it. I read something in Acts, I'm reading Acts 2, and, and I read how the Bible said Peter was in jail. He got thrown in jail. And the night before the trial, the night before the trial, the angel came and busted him out. And Herod was looking all over to find him and couldn't find him. Peter got out of jail free. My point is, I had never seen in scripture that it was the night before the trial. And I took that to mean the night before something about to happen, PC. The angel's coming. I feel like shouting shoes. I'm telling you, when you study the word, 
He will say stuff to only you. And you know what it means. And I was like, ooh. I mean, you get up with more fervor, with more dynamics, with more ability. So what I'm trying to entice you, Lou and Grizz, I'm trying to entice you today is to want the potential of a life with power and making a difference, being a difference maker in the world before you. I want you to see that there's more to life and it has already been given to you. Everything you're pursuing has already been given to you. You just don't know it. All you have to do is focus on the knowledge of God. No one is asking you. I ain't asking you to live more godly. I ain't asking you that. I ain't asking you to quit sinning. I ain't asking you that. I'm asking you to get to know God. If you get to know God, you will quit sinning. If you get to know God, you will be more godly. Your godliness will increase due to your knowledge of God. So remember, you have what others don't. You know what others don't know. And you share what others don't share. The greatest benefit to all our Christian lives is that we actually have been given the opportunity and the blessing to know God more and to be like him. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a deal that you can't pass up? I certainly won't. I'm PC. And that's all I've got.